Welcome to Boiling Point, the podcast to motivate ever-evolving entrepreneurs and forward-thinking movement pioneers. Our hosts, filmmaker Greg Hemmings and executive coach Dave Vale, are turning up the heat in the world's business communities. Our interviews with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers are raising the temperature of inspiration. Live from the hottest studio in this quadrant of the universe, here are Dave and Greg. All right, we are back in the boiling point. Um, what, what do you want to call this, Dave? The, the, it, it's kind of like a hybrid episode today. It's the boiling point meets the shifting the employee experience episode. This is kind of like a uh, an episode point five right now. Uh, would you agree, Dave? I would. I would. And <laughs> and we we were setting. We're actually just responding to the times. We are doing this virtually, uh, Greg, uh, on the river uh, just outside of St. John, me on a, a different river. Uh, somewhere. The same river actually, I, I, I just happen to be at where the St. John okay. River, the Muddy Wallastook and the Kenner cases meet. Okay. My, my river is open. Your river is covered in ice. Which it is, is still, yeah. And then Bill is from his uh, apartment in Ottawa. Beside so, the Ottawa River. Besides, there we go. River boys. Keeping with that thing. And we're working like everyone is working these days because of COVID-19 mm-hmm. and self-isolation. Mm-hmm. Um, and we thought we would, this would be a good conversation to have um, because, you know, actually, Bill, I was just reading an article you had sent me um, around the difference between isolation and loneliness at work. And this is something you know very well. And uh, some of us are just starting to recognize the importance and of, of understanding this. And I think it's, you know, this idea, there's one thing I just want to bring up before we get into that, but I'm, there's a concept that I feel is interesting uh, in this. There's the, the, the social distancing, but actually I prefer what I'm hearing people call physical distancing because in Mm. fact, I've, I've never talked to my, as an example, my parents as much, you know, by FaceTime and stuff. So socially we're actually more connected than we've been in years um, but you know, yet we're we're creating this physical distance. So, um, what, what's your take as a mental health expert, Bill, and what's what's happening right now? Well, it, actually, David, it's unprecedented to be quite blunt. I mean, before the pandemic, before any of us heard of the word COVID nineteen, uh, I've been starting to do some thinking about isolation and loneliness, and because my concern being is it's a major driver for mental health. We talk a lot around coping skills. We talk a lot around resiliency. Over Christmas, I was doing reading. I read four or five books on a kind of penny dropped. I was having a really good conversation with a dear friend. We were in Victoria and we were debating over the difference between isolation and loneliness. And it kind of hit me going, oh, you know what? Isolation is what you think. It's your perception. Now, objective isolation is if you lose your limbs and you're sitting in your bed and you can't get out of your bed, that's objective. It's very, very clear. Anyone would know that situation. However, that objective isolation, if you have people visiting, like my father when he was in the hospital on the deathbed, you know, he couldn't get out of his bed. He couldn't take care of himself, but he had his children and nurses and family. If you ask dad, he never felt he was alone. Mm. However, the concept around perceived isolation there are many different things that can result in perceptions of isolation. For example, financial, I don't believe I can go out. Work demand, I have so much work, I don't have time to do things. Uh, my age, I feel I'm discriminated. My uh, multiculturalism, my uh, job satisfaction, I feel trapped in my job. Psychological safety, 
I don't feel safe. And what's interesting is I've started to realize, David, that this isolation is actually compounded. It's usually multidimensional. It's not unidimensional. Usually people have all kinds of different levels. So I created a study with the Globe and Mail on this and started some articles before the pandemic serendipitously. And I wanted to start to try to find out what are the links between perceived isolation, resiliency, and loneliness. And I wanted to find out is employees in our Canadian workforce or that who experience high loneliness, what is their experience compared to employees who experience low loneliness in terms that CEOs may understand in regards to um, attendance, uh, presentism, mm. uh, because I thought if I could create a financial business case, we could get this on the radar and get more people talking about it. And, and what happened for me was this whole pandemic started to hit. I started to realize this concept of social connection is so important. And I'm going to give you a stat to get you two thinking about it. You both, David used to be a, a trainer and used to do a lot in physical fitness. And, you know, Greg, whether he likes it or not, his wife will, is a physician. So she, she, she'll be giving him some instructions probably around his day drinking and his different <laughs> lifestyle choices. But in, in regards to, to him, you know, <laughs> in regards to how he I wasn't expecting. Well, listen, listen, Bill is getting so comfortable with the bowling point throw <laughs> culture. Uh, we, we do it in a loving way, you know, like that. It's, it's totally par for course. I don't yeah, know if he had it his own or not, but I wasn't expecting that. And that's, that's part of my cabin fevers. I just have these crazy outbursts of laughter. Yeah, okay. Well, well, thank you for that. It, it, no, it's good. It's good to know that you're there. And now if I can remember what the hell I was talking about, that would be good. Well, but, you're talking about us being, uh, uh, having some awareness around uh, like our, 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 uh, or our well, physical. Right. And, and so here's my point. You both know obesity is not good for you. Neither one of you have a lot of body fat, but you know obesity will kill you. What really got me interested is that a person with loneliness is five times as likely to have premature death than someone that's obese. And so it started to hit me that, that I started to look at how mental health, which is going to be the number one killer of premature death by 2030, a, a substantive factor is this whole thing around loneliness. Now, as we move into this pandemic, there is no set of instructions for people to know how to actually manage. If you read the research from NASA, NASA will be very, very clear. They're the experts in loneliness because they put people out in space for a year. And they actually know that the longer a person's in isolation, it starts to erode their mental health. And that's one of the reasons why I, I'm spending a lot of time and I'm looking forward to having a conversation with you on things to insulate yourself against isolation. And because not everybody's isolated, we need to keep that in mind. I mean, there's those essential services for healthcare workers and people working at Walmart and people that are making, you know, uh, toilet paper and food and et cetera, that are trying to keep our country going. Uh, even car dealerships have an essential service because they need to be all maintenance cars to keep those people going to work. And then we have us that are non-essential are sitting home and working from home. And then we have a whole population who have been furloughed and laid off that now need to live with the concern, will they ever get a job? And they'll feel isolated and alone and worried, terrified. So it, the challenge is with this, and this is something for us to really dig into, 
is that if you sit here and we can be we can be pragmatic about it, but the reality is is that if this goes another twelve weeks, the average human being in Canada can't pay their bills after two. So if you think about it, fifty six percent of the population right now is a huge, huge risk. There's only a small percentage of us that can afford to actually live. So I, how long could I go? I'm probably good for the rest of my life uh, because I, uh, you know, I've, I'm 56 years old and I put money away for savings and I didn't go into the markets and cash is king. I've always lived my way that life that way. For mo most people, they're not you or me or Greg. And I think that's something we need to be mindful of is that there's a financial impact in this. And then, we're going to be living people for the next 12 months with the fear of getting COVID-19 until they get a vaccine. So people are going to be doing some behaviors. They're going to be ostracizing people. There'll be people that if they, if someone has a sniffle or a cough in an office in the fall. So there's going to be all, this thing is not going to be just everyone objectively now is home in their apartment. They're self-isolating. They're non-essential. It's going to be the impact of the nuances of this, and this is and this is like a uh, and a major major impact. And in fact, you know, I, I I've started because I'm in isolation myself. Ten days ago, when I started a book, and the first first chapter of the book is within 24 hours. Why did I decide to write a book? Hmm. And, and because we're in it right now, this is uh, whether it ever happens again, guys. I wish I could tell you I know how this is going to end, but I've had to deal with my first suicide yesterday. There's going to be all kinds of issues that are going to be traumatic for human beings. And we need to have some humor in all this and try to get some people to laugh. But we also need to make sure we get some people some tools so they can stay alive. Good point. Um, rewinding to what you said earlier about the unpreparedness. Oh my gosh. It's so true. Like, um, you know, we've got a little bit saved, you know, but we only started doing that about four years ago, um, you know, as, as a family. And uh, like just on my day-to-day -day account, I mean, like I probably could go for a couple of weeks, you know, but uh, think about the businesses. Like we had a bunch of cash at the end of last year and then we had a really horrible year last year and we lost a bunch. Um, that's the reality of a bunch of small businesses, you know, like, how long can you float your employees for as a business mm -hmm. owner? And, mm -hmm. uh, and that's what we're going through right now. We're trying to be very innovative. It's a, it's a full team approach on yeah. how, how we're going to make, uh, you know, make the next X amount of months work because uh, people who buy our expensive videos are companies that can afford it and have cash and who are actively marketing. That's all slowing down right now. Um, but man, what a, what a good lesson on being prepared and uh, the whole concept of the nest egg that, you know, post-war generations fully understood, right? Mm, yeah. uh, that my generation, we've never really gone through something like this before. So it'll be, it'll also be neat to see how everything changes, how materialism changes after this as well, and, and how we become more careful with the decisions we make with our, our stores and our money and uh, while continuing to keep the economy going. Yeah, I, I, I would say to you with that, my response back is, I hope so. Isn't it interesting, though, that the 2008 with the financial crisis, what we learned about all these crazy bonds and all the things that we're doing around mortgage backed 
you know, we said we wouldn't do it again. And then they started again. And so my question, Greg, is do we really, are we really going to actually this time learn? Well, uh, we, you know yeah. what I mean? My, my response back to that is the huge mistake of the bailouts uh, of the banks and like mm. Wall Street bailouts showed just like we're children seeing how our, our parents act, you know, yeah. the world like, oh yeah, we can have a, a economic crisis, but don't worry. Somebody's going to bail it out. We can print money. They'll bail it out. No big deal. Yeah. That's what happened there. Like nobody really, well, people did feel the hurt back in 2008, of course, mm. but the bounce back was, uh, essentially a manufactured bounce back and uh, the, those big players continue to act the way they always have. Nothing really changed in that one. I'm curious mm. Bill's opinion of like <clears throat> the psychology around, you know, how when we're in something, we really experience it and feel it deeply and say, I'll never forget this. Like I think of um, someone we all know um, uh, talking to uh, Dr. Mark Pelche about you know his example is he's a cardiac surgeon and he would say i have some patients that go through the experience and they say i'm going to change my lifestyle and they do he goes but unfortunately um uh, and i don't think i know what percentage he had but there was this high percentage to just go back to their old lifestyle and i just wonder is there some something around our psychology that you know that 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 buffers us from the reality that went through to that helps us doesn't help us make rational decisions going forward that we should be yeah, uh, to answer your question, Mark would tell you it's flip a coin, it's 50 50. Okay. So, um, and I, because we had that conversation on the golf course one day, uh, here, here's what happens is when we're scared, we're in our emotional brain. And most of us can remember the time where, if you know, if you were sick and you were physically sick and you were throwing up and not with COVID-19, but you just had a flu and you're really, really upset and you're praying to God that you'll never do anything again. If you can get me through this, just, you know, like I'll do anything. I mean, just get this pain to stop. What we mostly, one of our challenges is, is most people, there's really three pieces of learning, David, is the first, we got to get people through the crisis. That's step one. Then step two, we need to educate people. What did they learn from the crisis? And then step three is they need to start putting a plan in place. What's the challenge with that? In theory, it makes sense. Get through, educate, restart. It's the challenge being for people is once they get through this crisis, the real world will start again. All their other responsibilities will start. All the other static, all the other noise. And, and will they be able to say, oh, yeah, that exercise thing, I'll do it tomorrow. So from a behavioral economics perspective, people are much healthier in the future. Like today I'll have a pizza, tomorrow I'll have salad. Today I'll have buy that case of beer, tomorrow I'll save. And so what happens is we continue to kick the can down the road. And, and I think one of, one of the things that would be very helpful for us is that if I would ask both of you, be in a need to kind of flip the table if, you know, what does insulation uh, of, or, or sorry, what's this isolation mean to you two in your experience? Like, mm-hmm. you know, you both are really fairly comfortable and confident people, but you're in isolation right now. What's happening to you two? And has it started to sink into you yet the reality it may not be safe for you, your children to be outside for a bit? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, good point. It's uh. Uh, our family spent a week in Cuba uh, and then came back and we had no internet. It was lovely. It was total disconnect. And we got back and learned all about this. We immediately had to go into two weeks of quarantine. Um, and that ended 
on Wednesday. Uh, well, that period of two weeks ended, uh, but we are continuing to practice self-isolation like everybody else is. Um, and uh, fortunately for us, we've got a tight family unit. Um, and one week of vacation in a small little condo in Cuba, if you can survive that as a family, that's pretty good. And then uh, add another two weeks on top of that, and you're still doing all right. That's pretty good. Adding the interesting uh, layer of doing daily business. I'm still as busy right now having you know, sales calls and strategy meetings like constantly, but we still have a baby that is crying from time to time that I, and I just have to do my part. Like things are changing you know, in the way the work, the work at home bit has to change, especially with two working parents. Like, uh, like I'm right now, my wife's on mat leave. So it's a little bit different, but, uh, it's a, uh, for two working parents who are working virtually with kids at home, I can only imagine what that's like. So at the end of the day, uh, we're making it work so far. We haven't got squirrely yet, but, uh, and we're getting outside a lot as well. Um, and working virtually, and the kids are doing their uh, camps and music lessons virtually, which is keeping uh, them engaged. How about you, Dave? Um, well, I, I to be honest, I feel like I'm more I'm more concerned about the people that don't have maybe. So we're we're uh, you guys have been to our house. We're very lucky. We've got lots of space. You know, I've, there's a lot. I'm built to work virtually. I've got a exercise. You know, I've got a gym in the house, so I'm able to get my exercise in. Um, I've worked virtually all the time. So in fact, we've got more work than we have ever had. Um, so uh, Mike, and I think, and I've, we have kids that we have to, 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 to you know, and, and I'm married to an early childhood educator who set up a family uh, charter essentially when it started. And here's how our days are going to go, except for Saturdays and Sundays. And, and there's a be up at a certain time and go to bed at a certain time. And in between academic time, exercise time, outdoor time, all this kind of stuff. Um, and it seems to be going quite well, but I, I do feel like I, I, for me, I don't know if you guys are experiencing this, but I have moments where I kind of go, oh yeah, like this is like, when do we ever, when's this ever going to end? And it's kind of this, mm. almost this freaky feeling. Like mm. I can feel a little, almost like a little panic and then it kind of goes away, but it's because I got lots to do. So, but if I didn't have this, I'd be really concerned about my own, um, mental health to, you know, if I had, because there's only so much you can do um, like watching videos and reading and you know what I mean? But um, mm. that's my perspective. And I'm really worried about if I didn't have all these wares, I would be, uh, yeah, I would be concerned. Mm. It's interesting. Yeah. No, I think, yeah, I think both of you, it's great for sharing. I, I'd be fascinated though for both of you in your heads. Um, Cause most people do this without realizing it. So when do you believe you'll be out of isolation be able to be normal again, if whatever normal is. What's your brain telling you? What's the guess? Hmm. I'm guessing, for some reason, <laughs> July is hitting my head. And uh, um, hearing Trump talk about getting the, getting the economy back and going in the next couple of weeks, like he's dreaming. Um, or he could force that, and then this is just going to keep going. And the borders will continue to stay closed. And... Uh, it won't be good. Um, yeah. That's a good question. I take it. I, I, I the, the, the data is saying late summer um, for, and, and maybe fall. I'm hearing that my brain though wants to take it week by week because I, that's just, it's like running a marathon when you start training and you got to run 40 kilometers. 
I, my brain doesn't work well thinking 40 kilometers, but I think, okay, well, we're going to do two and then two and then two, you know, and then eventually. Yeah. Um, so that's psychologically how I'm dealing with it right now. So there's a, I think there's, there's two sides to it. Um, one is because if I, because I find it too depressing to think of that, but I think that is probably the reality. Yeah. You're, you're, so you're giving actually some really, really good advice is one, I think is, as Greg said, is have a picture in your mind of what it could be. You're, and then you can back up to what you're saying, David, is I do agree one day at a time. I love the fact, again, you're showing some great strategies, what your wife is doing around insulating for isolation is routine is really critical. In NASA, one of the number one things they said is hey, you need to have a daily plan. You need to have structure. You need to have your exercise. You need to shower at the same time, sleep at the same time, make sure you're eating. The challenge you're going to see is people are going to start to, they're going to start to morph into work at home. You'll see people actually start working more hours. Hmm. It's because they're going to be trying to do more. They're going to have, it's really important to unplug like you normally do. You schedule yourself to work nine to five, your nine to five family time in the evening. It'll be very easy for people to be using work as a way to try to distract themselves and to hide. And, and uh, you thinking about it to your point of going a day, a, a week, a month, I, I'm trying to tell people in my video blogs I'm doing every day with the conference board is do day by day. And no one knows exactly what's going on. There are a lot of smart people are going to be working on this, scientists and et cetera. And we don't know what they'll come up with. If you think about the amount of brain power and the trillions of dollars that are pointed at this, hmm. I'm going to bet on, I'm going to bet on uh, humanity that we're going to figure this out. I think what we've got to do, though, is to be braced. And what I would say to you is both to be braced to have the expectation that April and May will be probably very similar to what they are now. Hmm. Um, and then maybe in June and July, if we hit the slope, we'll be doing more social distancing. Uh, we'll be get, putting more protocols in, but they'll be trying to encourage some commerce. We don't know, but the backbone of our infrastructure will need small businesses to be able to start to operate. Uh, the question is, is with the COVID-19, is that the, the, there's, we still don't know yet, understand the disease enough, is because it's actually starting to impact young people as much as it is old. And the, in the ICU, 50% of the people in the ICU are between the age of 20 and 40. So you need, you know, if you don't have a ventilator, if they don't incubate some of these people, it's a, or depending on how it is, you, you and I might have potentially already got COVID-19 and don't know. And so, I mean, hopefully we did, but there's a lot of people that are going to be asymptomatic and they'll never have any symptoms. So this is, this is going to be a time, I believe, when they start to have this whole conversation around loneliness and isolation is the perceived barriers that are putting, putting people into that mindset. I, I, I really am trying to get people just to talk about it, but like, what, do they, what are their challenges and what's hard for them? And so, because we can't actually say it's normal, because no one knows what normal is right now. I think you're. Um, I think it'd be good. This is a good place to tell people how to reach the uh, the blog, um, because you know this is something that can keep them updated. And um, and I see it's at the ceohsnetwork.ca. Yeah, word that that blog will have uh, all the links and connections. 
what we're personally doing at David is we're doing a daily blog through the Conference Board of Canada. We're doing a weekly microskill through the Canadian Society of Engineers Free. We're doing, uh, we're doing articles, posting articles for people. And we're going to be offering a uh, seminars uh, for managers on crisis, depression, suicide. Those things are going to sadly be things that are going to be coming at us as human beings start to try to cope. My, I'm doing a webinar in two weeks on, uh, actually two weeks, sorry, in one week on isolation uh, strategies and how to cope. And, it, like, and it, it, what you guys are doing are very much it. It's family, love, patience, tolerance, and being aware of what's going on. And I think the big thing is for people to realize is that you're, you need to have some structure and you need to have a bit of a routine. And stick to it right now. I got a question about, you know, so everyone, so like within your family unit, Mm -hmm. and so we're a family of five, different stages of life, you know, a a toddler, um, a tween and a teenager, and then uh, my wife and I being in our 40s (laughs) with a three-year-old, imagine that. Mm -hmm. Um, um, And I've I've noticed how we're all dealing with this differently. Mm -hmm. And there seems, and for me, at times, I feel like, you know, just look at it my way, because it'll be, and it's not fair to other people, right? And, and I, I can be seen, I, I, uh, if I'm going to be really vulnerable now, I think I can be seen as minimizing how they're feeling, because I'm saying, guys, it could be so much worse. But that's just because that's the way I, I, I get through it. And I have to recognize that like that's not their way. Maybe it's my wife or my son or whatever. Um, any, any advice there, Bill? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, uh, before I do, I'll ask Greg a question because him being a, uh, a movie guy and making movies, what you're setting up is something really important. It's a really good coaching point. It's about be careful what movie you're creating in your head and projecting on other people is because you're running, you're running your story Mm-hmm. And in your story could actually have a negative impact on them um, if you're not paying attention to how you're editing it. I mean, in the in the in the movie making business, uh, Greg, you you must see where how you sometimes you you can use imagery to to kind of project what the outcomes you want. It can have be good and it can be bad. I would think. Yeah, lovely uh, analogy. Uh, I think as an, as a film editor, uh, what I get a lot of joy out of is uh, adjusting the emotional impact of a video just by the decision of what type of music I put under the under the uh, images. You could have a um, a shot of somebody, just one shot of somebody running really hard down the street, and you could have a real uh, you know daunting, scary sound, and you're like, oh my gosh, what's what's chasing this person? Or it could be uh, um, a triumphant song. It's like, oh my gosh, he's going to win the race. Or mm-hmm. it, it could be something totally different. And just these small tweaks on how we put films together, you're right, projects me as a director or as the editor. is like, I want to manipulate your emotions to the scene. I'm giving, I'm setting the tools, the, you know, the, the landscape. Mm-hmm. To, <coughs> I want you to be more than just entertained. I want you to feel something. And most filmmakers are trying to manipulate that and that's not a bad thing because if you watch a film you are looking to be manipulated emotionally uh, in a way like uh, i shouldn't say that in all in all cases but we like to 
go see films. You're suggestible. Feel something. Yeah. And that's that's the point, David. What you're saying that I think that impact of us projecting can have the same power on another person, and to be careful what movies we're playing in our head mm-hmm. may not necessarily be what the audience needs or wants because this is not about being right it's about being heard and that's the concept around that whole idea around restorative justice around ensuring you spend time seeking you understand how other people are having their experience without judging it mm-hmm. so that's going to be i think the family thing guys is going to be a lot of lessons sadly that's one of the reasons i just wrote an article with our friend dr van busker on increase in domestic violence is going to be on the swing child abuse all these social challenges are going to get amplified because people are going to be on top of each other and you all have your own like we all like having our own anonymity and freedom and when you start taking that away and people don't get a break that could create more stress and that's why the part of the isolation is being mindful is not just about you it's the experience you're having with other people too I got a, yeah, that's very good advice. Appreciate it. I love the, I, lo- I like how you talked about the, the movie and, and pulled uh, Greg's expertise into that is true. I, know, like, I also enjoyed the. Uh, I, I have definitely got a triumphant song playing in my head and I'm running <laughs> down the street and people are cheering on the side. <laughs> the reality is it's an empty street. And it should be a sad movie. <laughs> um, um, so, so this resource is excellent. And by the way, uh, I just, I, Greg, you may not have noticed that Greg or Bill pointed it out. Check on the right hand side of CEO HS Network. The boiling point. The boiling point. I've seen that on there, and I think that's very, very yeah. cool. So yeah, it's a great resource, uh, Bill. Thanks for sharing that. With yeah, everybody. we're honored to be part of that, and that's and that's coming from um, uh, our this great sponsor we have, Workplace Safety and Prevention Services. So, um, how do we want to wrap this one up, guys? Oh, I think, uh, well, one thing we didn't really, uh, like, like this is kind of a uh, ad hoc episode in the middle of a number of our sponsored uh, podcasts, Shifting, Shifting the Employee Experience. Um, and it was just a timely opportunity to let people know that we've gone virtual with the podcast and, and that Dave and I are still, uh, still full tilt with the boiling point and we're really loving this uh, this season uh, of Bill and Dave uh, at the helm, speaking to such cool uh, guests, and and for me to really learn the technology, I, I'm having a ball. And like, like I just, just figuring out these figuring out these events, it's irresistible. I've got so many cool. Uh, things on here. Uh, so so we're so we're actually we're again we're fortunate to have these sort of outlets um, for people that are listening that that don't or employers that don't have, um, that want to help the people that are, that are at home, Bill, some, some quick tips. Yeah. I think a couple ones I would say is, is the provide right now, if there was ever a time to support your employees with metal fitness would be the time, uh, helping employees be able to develop the discipline, like not only exercise, but what they can do. This was inside their control each day to help them keep their perspective of what's going on. That's one of the reasons why, for example, on that website, you'll see the, the links to the University of New Brunswick about mental fitness. I'm a big pro- a proponent of that. 
I think the other thing too is like journaling and keeping a log, writing out your emotions right now is not a bad thing. There's a lot of research that's suggesting you can be tracking your experience and you can go back and get your some growth and some learning experiences from it. Um, the, the one I said earlier, I can't keep talking about it over and over. Keep talking. And if you're struggling, like I'm in, I'm in an apartment by myself in Ottawa with nobody around me. I'm having the exact opposite. I haven't actually had a conversation with a human being face to face coming up to 14 days. And it's odd not, you know, you you, because I'm always on airplanes flying and talking. And, And what I'm realizing even myself with it is if I don't keep my routine, get up and shower and follow my thing and do my push ups and do my walk every day. And, and to know what my purpose is, you can get lost in this. And that's one of the things that people need to understand. This is a moment in time. It's not forever. And just to be patient with this. I would also encourage people with the Globe and Mail. Um, the, there's a free uh, survey there we're doing that actually gives you a report once you're done on your isolation that gives you some insights on what types of perceived isolation because any type you already had is just going to be amplified. Like if you're in a relationship, for example, there's all kinds of people in marriages that are lonely, that the marriage becomes a barrier. So it's starting to become aware of those perceived things that are going on because this big amplifier or that we call isolation or the challenge of worrying about your health. That's another perceived barrier that people are going to be worried if they're in essential services, you know, 14% of the people that are dying or getting really, really sick with this virus are healthcare workers. Mm-hmm. And so it's, you know, you look what's going on in Italy of the number of doctors, they've lost over 20 doctors. So this, this is, this is not a, uh, this is not, not for the faint of heart, what we're going to go through. We, we have a lot of, a lot of work, not only for people that are going to be in apartments like me or you guys stuck in our house, the, the what's going on in between our ears in regards to what we're doing every day to stay connected. It will be really, really important. Um, wise words. Uh, lots of work. I'm, I look forward to it. So on the show notes, we'll have, we'll have uh, hopefully all of these links that you've just described so people can get quick yeah. access and, and, um, and um, you know, and be able to, to have some um, control and, and at least, and, and, and some awareness. So thank you for that. Good work you're doing there, my friend. And um, this is so timely. So, um, Bill or uh, Greg, do you want to wrap us up? Just yeah, sure. I'm noticing some digital dropouts because this is another reality of the current times. Like uh, my my daughter right now is in her acting class uh, on the iPad doing a bandwidth. So, you know, these are just interesting technical things we have to get around well as we do things like podcasts uh, online. But uh, that's why I turned my video off just to save. But um, yeah, so thanks everybody for listening to the Boiling Point uh, uh, micro episode. It wasn't micro, but it was, it's a 0.5 uh, episode in between the Shifting the Employee Experience series, which we're so blessed to have amazing partners um, in the workplace safety and prevention services as the University of New Brunswick. And a big thank you, Dr. Bill Howitt. Thanks for joining us uh, for this episode, but also for all the ones we've had so far and a number coming up. Excited to see what's uh, coming up next. And uh, please do subscribe and share these episodes with, uh, with your community. We appreciate that. And uh, we look forward to continuing to serve up conversations. See you later, guys. Talk soon. Stay safe, guys. Okay. Thank you.
Thanks for checking out this episode of Boiling Point. Remember to rate and subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Boiling Point Pod. To see more from Dave Vale, check out leadershipunleashed.ca or visioncoachinginc.com and on Twitter at Dave underscore Vale. And to catch up with Greg, visit hemmingshouse.com and at Greg Hemmings on Twitter. Thanks for listening and remember, keep that pot boiling. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.